We're back with Professor Tad Lechman to continue our discussion on learning in the quarantine age and beyond. It's all coming up on the Learning Geeks podcast starting now. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. 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 It's just been a week since we did this. It's nice to uh, to be talking to you guys again so soon. And it's good to have Tad with us again. Yes, oh, yes. We, we don't Happy very often do a two-parter, but uh, I know. This, I this genius comes just Special. flowing from you. <laughs> yeah. So for anybody who missed part one, uh, go back and listen to it. We think it was pretty good. Uh, but Tad Lechman, who is also, this is his third time appearing on our show. Uh, he is a professor of a whole bunch of things at UC Santa Cruz. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, and has worked in a lot of different areas, sometimes with me. And uh, we've been talking about really some of the challenges that we've discovered and also some of the opportunities that we've discovered as we started moving our learning from in-person to uh, to remote, online, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and Tad's coming from the perspective of university life and academia. Um, and actually, I, was, I thought maybe we could roll today because I've got kind of a cool story. This is a positive angle on academia. Um, huh. It's also a little bit of a whining because... <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to hear what the positive whining sounds like. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll get it. What, you'll what's totally the good get whining? it. Yeah. All of you guys as parents will understand this. So <laughs> right now, as we speak, my oldest son, Harrison, is defending his undergraduate thesis uh, at Portland State University. Um, and about... 15 minutes ago, well, no, 20 minutes ago, he sent us a link to the Zoom. And he's like, hey, if you want to watch me defend my thesis, you can come. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be recording a podcast. Wish you would have told me earlier. <laughs> but the rest of the family is on now watching him, uh, watching him defend and listening to the questions. It, it, it's not a tight defense. His project uh, it was an was, art project. His project was really cool. Really it was cool. cool. Yep. I'm super proud. Thank you for saying that because I think I'm just clouded. But you know, we <laughs> no, should probably I, bring him on at some point, point and talk about that. Yeah, it's we all about should. AI okay. and art and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the whole. But anyway, the yeah. whole notion of using AI as a uh, a way to stimulate create human creativity. Yeah, it's just it was very, really insightful. That was the thesis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Really, yeah. I'll, I'll okay. show you later, Jake. Yeah, it's a yeah, really good example of that. human plus machine um, brought to the art world. But anyway, my point was how cool it was that we had the opportunity to actually participate in that. Me personally, had I heard about it earlier, but the rest <laughs> of the family could participate in that with him. Uh, that's just a really, really cool thing. And that, you know, I think probably that type of opportunity is coming up more and more in academia and will continue to expand, right? I, I'm thinking about all of the classes that could be audited mm -hmm. so much more easily mm -hmm. now when almost everything is online. And uh, again, kind of like we were talking about last week, bringing the focus more towards actual learning for learning's sake, yeah. as opposed to, you know, kind of going through the game of getting a degree and all that kind of stuff. Which is an interesting thing, Bob, because if there is so much, and we know this already, that there's content available 24-7, when do you reach mm -hmm. a saturation point? You say, I've, I've, had, uh, I've had enough or I've had too much. Oh, like entertainment. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Like TV shows, there's too much. There's too many good things. Is is there a tipping point for learning as well? Yeah. So I mean, we binge watch TV, and there, you know, at some point you go, okay, 
I, I got it all. I'm ready to stop. Uh, binge learning, right? That's another term I've heard periodically. And there's probably yeah. an element of that, that uh, where you just get too much. What was interesting is that at the beginning of, of kind of this, this whole new normal, there was a lot of work that was done and in watching trends of people who were binge watching TV, they were binge watching comfort TV, things that they mm-hmm. have seen mm-hmm. before. There was almost like and again, I don't know exactly the correlation, but I started to try to connect the dots with any, even within learning too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's almost this, do you, I want to spend the energy to watch something new and something different? Or am I okay just watching something that's comforting and familiar and kind of bring me back? So there was almost like there's so much out there already. Mm-hmm. I kind of yeah. just want to go back to what I know, right? It's Which like, it's like watch- picking up an old book that you've read several yeah, times before. Exactly. There, there's yeah. just a comfort level with it. But you've forgotten enough that there's also some surprise. Right. <laughs> yes. Increasingly, every year, there are more of those books that I have forgotten completely about wait, that I know wait, I enjoy, but I don't remember. Wait a minute. What was your name again? Yeah, hello. <laughs> well, I like that you started with kind of on a positive thing. I actually I literally have on my clipboard a list called Good Things. Yeah. Of kind of the positive effects that I wanted to talk about a little bit and see if I could get some discussion going about. Um, and auditing the opportunity for other folks to audit classes that they might not be able to participate in is related to one of the other items on there, which is um, guests and how much easier it Mm. is for me to invite guests to come talk to my classes because they don't have to drive to Santa Cruz. They can just, and we've done, you know, Skype calls with remote folks, but now the bar is even lower because every, everybody's, in front of a computer now. So it's been really nice for me to able to feel like I can invite someone to interact with my students, but it's not as big of an ask. And I think that will increase. I think I'll be doing that more over the summer as well. But the flip side of that, um, you know, for years, whenever I tweet about a class I'm doing or a lecture or or film lecture that I'm doing, I'll often get folks who I used to work with at Lucasfilm and other places say like, oh, I really want to take one of your classes someday. I was like, yeah, sorry. Right. <laughs> they're they're all inside a university that you can't get into. Yeah, but now. Um, but that may not be true anymore. Yeah. And Ted, how does mm-hmm. that impact the tuition model then? Because, you know, there are, a lot, of course, a lot of universities are just offering things for free. But if everything's free, then there's no university. And there's also, um, you know, there are also things that university professors and administrations need to be careful about uh, because, you know, Fair use is becoming clearer slowly, but the fair use of movie clips, game clips, things that I would feel really comfortable sharing with my students in a classroom setting, I that might not be broadcastable right. in a larger sense right. too. Yep. Um, same with um, kind of academic freedom issues too. Um, I would imagine, you know, the... MOOC material and other material that a university has been releasing for for free, I bet that's somewhat different than how that content looks in a more intimate classroom setting. Hmm. Uh, and I know for a fact, even things like thinking about submitting talks to the Game Developers Conference or the SIGGRAPH Conference, like you have to make sure because they're going to rebroadcast those talks or broadcast them live. Like they're very concerned about like, do you have the rights to Mm -hmm. every single image you're going to show in your presentation? So I think that's one, that's one consideration as well. Um, But it's a good question, Dana, about just tuition model, what it is to be a student versus to audit, what it is 
to be actively participating maybe as a fully tuition paying student versus another tier. So maybe there's a tiered experience that might be possible. Um, I always get one or two students a year who just want to take a class just to audit just because they're interested. I love them, by the way. <laughs> they're kind of pure, pure. Ted, learners. I'm raising my hand. I want to audit one yeah. of your classes. Yeah, <laughs> your Zoom class. Be but great. it's a, it's a good question that we may have to to think about a little more carefully in the future. Yeah, Sherry last week took a COVID nineteen contract contact tracing class. I might have mentioned that last <gasps> week. Um, it, it was a Johns Hopkins University class offered on Coursera. And she had the option at the end of paying, uh, what, $49 mm-hmm. and taking oh, the right. test to get the certificate. So it was the exact same experience, yep. regardless of whether you were just getting it for the information or whether you wanted to be certified. Did she, she certify? kind of decided anytime. She, she did. Passed nice. with flying colors. So she'll be hopefully not calling you, Jake, and saying, who have you been talking <laughs> to lately, Jake? Where did you eat? Who did you meet with? Yeah. Did you wear a mask on the bus? <laughs> so, hey, hey, Ted, too, and kind of going back to the guest thing, which I have found really beneficial, I think, mm. whenever we do more virtual stuff and, and blended stuff. and Because, again, you can bring expertise from wherever they are across the world, of course, yeah. if it's in a good time zone. But from your case, when you were in the normal traditional environment, how come there wasn't a tendency to do that more, um, to bring people in Skype? You said you did it, but I wonder yeah. how come it's now just, is it just easier because everyone's doing it? They're used to it. I'm just curious why that was. The I think, I think that's exactly that. I think that's exactly right. Because I would, you know, I would ask folks to do it not as often as I am now, but I think it's so easy for everyone to instantly understand what it would mean to join our Zoom class and just talk. Whereas before it's like, okay, well, what, for what tool are we going to use? Okay, how are we, like, we got to set you up an account. Like it was, and then I had to, like, it was a lot harder for on my end in the classroom to set up my laptop so that the Skype screen was going to be on the big projector and that the audio was going to be going through the the classroom audio, like it was a pain. So I think there, there are kind of a couple of barriers that got dropped on either, on either end, um, which I think is adding up to, it's just, it's a lot, it's a lot easier now. And that's one of the things, Jake, I hope will come back to the classroom from this experience. There are a few things we mentioned having a live chat going with my students during lecture. Mm-hmm. I'm it's, it's really, especially since talking about, about it last week with you was how do I bring that back to the class? Like I kind of want to have some level of nonverbal communication between my students and me, and also just between the students going during a live lecture. Um, I have changed like that. I don't know that I would have even considered something. In fact, I might've thought that would be detrimental because it's, you know, it's another level of engagement that takes attention away from me. But it is engagement, hmm. um, and it is like I w- I will miss it when it's not there. Mm. So I hope that's something we can kind of bring back. Um, having tools now increasingly to do live captioning and transcription of a talk is amazing, because if I have a room with three hundred students, the chance that there's someone in that room with hearing impairment or who's an ESL student for whom English is a challenge, 
Like I always try to find clips with with subtitles when I can when I'm showing video clips. But the fact that a student might actually also be able to get a transcript, a pretty decent one too, mm -hmm. um, of what's being said in class, like that's a tool I hope we can bring back to a live setting as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I, and again, going back to chat, I never, I don't know about you guys, Dana and Bob, but I have never used chat in a live session, kind of like how we do it with it in, in a virtual session. I don't know why we've never thought of it, but I've never used it. And that actually makes complete sense um, to just have some type of active dialogue. Because again, most Twitch streams and um, mm -hmm. Zoom calls and uh, any web sessions that we have, we always encourage it. So um, we did it experiment kind of with it a couple of times with, you know, having a side screen up with a Twitter mm -hmm. feed running and, you know, but it, it was awkward. It was hard. And, and, you still have to have that person who's the role of monitoring that and bringing that voice into the room or else it tends to be too distracting for the presenter. The, the one thing that I remember several years ago at one of the Elliott's conferences, he had it, he tried a couple of different variations and it seemed that the most successful one was where actually the, the feed was pointing toward the presenters. So you could mm -hmm. feed audience questions to the presenter, right? So if you've got, if you've got a thousand people in a conference room, right, and and uh, you're trying to get a pulse on what they're interested in, that type of a feed can launch you into discussions that you may not uh, otherwise have. So what's interesting, though, Bob, you said like, and you guys are probably thinking like Twitter. A lot of conferences do Twitter feeds yeah. or some mm -hmm. type of social media feeds, but then again, not everybody has Twitter, right? Correct. So when we think about Zoom chat. Uh, Twitch chat, like there's a chat readily available all the time. Right. So I've done the Twitter thing and I've, it kind of has bombed because not enough people were actually on it and it was another platform. Yeah. And this, like when we do it in virtually, it's already embedded. So I guess the question that I keep thinking is like, well, could you do something that is embedded that was a normal chat, but someone yeah. like to Bob's point, you still need a moderator and you still need someone to, to, to check in on it, maybe find questions, themes, but Instead of Twitter, I think it would be interesting to explore. Although I think a solo instructor will get better and better at managing yeah. the input stream, right? Yep. So you can Correct. practice yeah. doing it online and then bring it live. I love how you brought Star Wars into that. A solo instructor. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, 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 Thanks, I consider Dana. myself more of an Obi-Wan instructor, but I see the point. <laughs> um, but I think that you're also speaking to like the discussion of are we using a tool that our learners, that our audience has access to or are comfort with is another thing that kind of has come up in this, in our university setting, which is, you know, the students have a level of comfort with, with certain tools and the faculty have a level of comfort with certain, certain tools. And there's a Venn diagram overlap for some of those tools. And that, that overlap is growing, growing yeah. as, as we're all kind of thrown in this together. No, I think none, there are many of us, myself included, certainly lots of my students for whom Zoom would never be a thing they would ever have encountered ever because mm -hmm. it's just not a tool designed for the thing that we're using it for. I guess a lot of people are encountering that. Um, but as far as chat goes, like whether or not we've known it, depending on our audience, I think there has been a, a parallel chat going on in many of the courses and, and <laughs> yeah. things we've done. We just weren't aware of it because of having over text. Um, I True. found out that, you know, for many of my classes over the last year, the students immediately set up a discord server for that class 
and they're on Discord actively chatting. And I asked some of my students, I'm like, is that, should I be worried that that's distracting? They're like, no, actually, we all move over to Zoom when you're when you're lecturing, and then we'll use Discord as a way to share things after class. Or wow. he's like, when you talk about something and you you show us a website, we will post the link to that in Discord so that if someone wants to look at that at the same time or later. So they're actually doing some of my labor <laughs> as Work an instructor in this hmm. kind of parallel um, discussion forum, which is, I think, really interesting. And same way, like, Bob, I know you and I, actually, I think all of us have been on conferences or classes where, especially online ones, where there's some sort of interactive poll mm -hmm. as a component of that. Again, lots of different tools for doing that built into Zoom. So like last year when I taught the classes I'm teaching now um, to do in-class quizzes, we were using iClicker, which mm -hmm. is, is a hardware or software platform. It's very clumsy. It's a cost for the students, which I don't like them to have to bear. I'm doing all that with Zoom's built-in polls. Like, and I'm going through my slide decks as I'm preparing my talk. I'm like, oh wait, you know, where I would normally do a show of hands, like I can do a poll. And actually I can get a more refined data set for my students by using a poll. Um, something that I'm that iClicker did does that Zoom polls don't that I miss is in Zoom polls, I can't, the students can't see a live image of the answers coming in so they mm -hmm. can't see the histogram kind of changing as things change, which I can. And it's, I was like, Oh, I want you to see <laughs> and a lot of it's a lot of it's just inconsequential stuff. That's just fun to kind of keep the class going. But, um, more and more, I can see that being another, another way to get feedback during a course that again is a tool that we've had, but hasn't always been easy to use. And now it's just kind of in there. I'll tell you another another good story too, and uh, this isn't necessarily falling out of the present times, but I just thought it was interesting. So yesterday I had my first banjo lesson. Mm. Um, just going to start learning how to play banjo, uh, and I am taking my lessons over Zoom. And I just got my banjo; I had never even taken it out of the package. So uh, <laughs> my instructor was helping me get it set up, and I broke a string. Oh, this is about 15 minutes into the hour session. Oh, and I'm like, are we kind of done? Hosed here? <laughs> and he said, well, no, you know what? Just turn on the recording and I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to show you how to restring it. And then I'm going to show you how to tune it and order some strings. And when, you know, I'll show you how to do like a basic roll and how to put the mm -hmm. picks on your fingers and when you uh, when you get your strings, just replay the video and walk through it with me. And, you know, and I'm like, this is amazing. You yeah. know, had it been like a lesson in a studio, we would not have been able to do that. He would or if it had he, been a pre-recorded mm -hmm. asynchronous lesson, unless there's a separate video you could look for that has how to change a string, that would not have happened. That's right. Mm -hmm. So it's wow. cool. You know, technology is great. Another so. Something else I had on my list to discuss too is, you know, I do, because I, I mean, I teach, I teach game design. A lot of my focus is on tabletop games and tabletop role-playing games. And there is an interesting overlap between teaching in person and then moving to an online form and what's happening, especially in the tabletop community of people who normally meet every week to mm -hmm. play Dungeons and Dragons or, or Pandemic, ooh, bad choice, um, <laughs> other tabletop board games, 
um, who are not able to do that now. And I am seeing some parallels between some of the problem solving for both of those similar problems. How do you take something that's normally an intimate kind of shared collaborative experience and adapt it to work in another space? Um, I played my first, so we've got, I've got a group of friends from various former jobs who are meeting every week to play an online role play, play a role playing game that we normally would have played in at the table together. I've never done that before. I've never done an online, we're using Zoom. Um, but it's been really interesting to see the things that I've learned from teaching in the past two months that I can apply to that and how interesting some of the things I'm learning from that have been rolling back into class, mm. um, which um, I was looking at some notes. I think I mentioned this to you, Bob, looking at some notes from when I first started working at UCSC three years ago, almost four years ago now. And I had early conversations with the arts division about making online classes and how that would work. And I have in my notes, like, is there something to learn from Roll20 and Fantasy yeah. Grounds and some of these other tools for playing online role-playing games? Past me did not follow up on that. So now present me has to follow up on that. But um, I think it's something I've been, I must clearly have been thinking about for a while. And I just never had the opportunity to dig into what those tools were like for, for playing games online. Um, and it's, I think there's a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, when it comes specifically to learning games, which is not really mm -hmm. where you're going, but we can, we can talk about that. Um, we've been working on a couple of learning games within our company. One of them, uh, we were able to get up and running in Roll20. So mm -hmm. we can go ahead and basically keep the same game, uh, but do it in a completely online form where all of the pieces and the cards and all of that are in are online in this application called Roll20. So that's one solution. Yeah. Another one that I'm working on more closely uh, was one that, that you helped us develop, Tad, where it was a card game. Oh, yeah. We looked at that and we thought, you know, trying to teach our audience how to use something like Roll20 to play a card game would be way too arduous. Yeah. So instead, we actually changed the format of the game. We changed it from being a card game to being a solo computer uh, oh. adventure game. Yeah. It's essentially inspired by like Sierra Online uh old adventure games where yeah. it's basically a text adventure game <laughs> with one <laughs> right. picture. <laughs> but but I we're found, telling it's people it's cool. Because yeah. I found a photo not too long ago of um, when we were developing that card game. Yeah. And it was the most natural thing in the world to look at now, which was a video conference with all of us who were collaborating on that. And there were blank cards in front of my screen that we mm -hmm. were working on, kind of working it out. And there was a camera pointed to the desk <laughs> so that everyone could see the cards. Like, I, that, I, was, I was so proud that we came up with that solution to work on that game three or two years ago. <laughs> and right. now it's like, right. oh yeah, I do that all the time. That space honestly has been an interesting one for, for me, myself, and for, my, uh, for our team. Is like, how do you do remote gameplay that's still collaborative, more like, again, tabletop gameplay? Yeah. Um, and then even one of the, there was a game in development, Bob, we kind of took the same route where we, we had a card game that was in development. We we're almost there. 
And then this happened. And then we, um, uh, one of my colleagues, Shannon, she's been converting it into just total scrappiness using tools that we have and mm-hmm. trying to, and trying to play and see if we could simulate like the same pretty much feel. And, um, we're, we're at the point where we're trying to look for people. Right. But like, I, I looked at it, I'm like, this, this, this can work. <laughs> like it really can work. <laughs> so we've had interesting conversations in my class about, you know, cause in one of my game systems class, I briefly mentioned play by post games. Oh yeah. Like war games and chess, like people would play by mail. It would be an asynchronous yes, gameplay yeah, experience by envelope. That, by the way, that still happens mm-hmm. via email, which is really interesting. Um, but the other thing that's come up lately that I've been thinking about, Jake, kind of along the lines of what you're talking about, a group, so a group of my nerd friends, after we finished playing our game last Saturday, we actually usually spend like an hour kind of socializing afterwards. And we were talking about how can we, a lot of the games that we play rely heavily on physical miniatures and kind of tactical gameplay on the tabletop whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or other games. And that's the thing we're missing the most. Like the storytelling aspect, that actually yeah. works pretty well. Yep. How do we do that? And so we were brainstorming like, well, what if everyone had the same pieces on a table and we had a camera and you could just move the pieces appropriately, everyone would still see them. Or maybe one person has the master set of miniature goblins or whatnot, and everyone else can kind of see that live feed. And it made me think about, Jake, um, print and play is a very mm-hmm. common way for tabletop game makers to share early versions of their games where basically, you know, if yep. it's a card game, you get all the cards and you print them out yourself and you cut them up and now you've got the card game. Well, in theory, everyone could have the cards, the same mm-hmm. cards, depending on the mechanics of the game. Like you could have physical cards that match someone else's. and is there a way to synchronize those and still get that tactical tactile feel? Um, Bob, I'm looking at Tabletop Simulator for a class I'm mm-hmm. teaching this summer, which is has a similar functionality, um, I think even more generic than Roll20. Because last year I planned a summer class, um, which is a critical gameplay class. My idea was we've got a really great room on campus that we can't get to now. It's a big multi-purpose room. It's got like 30 tables, lots of chairs. So we could easily set it up for lots of students to be playing board games at the same time. My idea was take the structure of a film criticism class, which is usually like a three hour class. You spend two hours watching a movie and that everyone talks about the movie for the hour after. So my idea was like, let's do that with games. Yeah. Let's everyone play the same board game. Let's play Scrabble for two hours and then spend an hour kind of breaking it down and talking about what we learned. I'm still teaching that class hmm. remotely this summer. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how is that going to work? So looking at a tabletop simulator, again, having like my, my assigned text for the class is going to be a piece of software to play tabletop games on a virtual 3D table together remotely. Um, but now I have an additional kind of instructional load on top of my course, which is like, okay, now we have to all have to learn how to use tabletop simulator to do something that we could have just done by putting a Scrabble board in front of you. I, I've got a question, and this is a little bit of a uh, looking into a crystal ball type mm. question. So with all of the changes that we've talked about in this episode and the previous one, we've kind of expanded our vision of, of what things could be, and, and we've had to do it fairly quickly 
try and adapt. And and I love the last time when you talked about how the students are kind of in it with you, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, we understand. We're going to help you make this work. So my question is, with this expansion, there's also going to be a contraction once, Mm -hmm. you know, the doors are open at the university and things. So my, my question is, after this expansion and the contraction, what things do you think will stay mm-hmm. from the new and, and yeah. what things do you think will, will not come back? Any, uh, any thoughts on that? I think, so one of the things that I keep coming back to is, um, you know, I, for the last few years, we have an online system at school that automatically records your lectures and posts them if you're on campus and it just it plugs into the system. It sees whatever's going to the, it intercepts whatever signal's going to the microphone, from the microphone and from your computer to the screen. And that was so great because if any student couldn't make it to class, I know they still could get to the lecture. Um, and it wasn't kind of live, but it was still there. I now think a lot about students who maybe need to spend a quarter at home or need to, like they want to take a class, but it, it's not, they can't get there physically. Like I can see this kind of new normal of a synchronous broadcasting, streaming your class, just being another option so that I may have 150 students in the classroom, but I've got another 100 students who at any, on any given day may be at home. Or maybe they sign up to just take it remotely for the whole quarter because it's easier for them. So I think that that kind of hybridization um, of attendance, I could see coming back. Um, you know, certain schools have embraced over the years. I think largely for-profit universities have embraced online as a way to kind of increase their customer base, so they can offer their their classes to folks who can't make it to the U.S. Um, I've also seen that used really effectively by universities to offer classes to students maybe who are from countries where they couldn't get a visa to come Mm -hmm. here. So if you've got students who are in Iran or other students Mm -hmm. in other countries for whom it's not easy for them to get even a student visa to come to the U.S., they can still attend classes. They can still get a degree. I think that might trickle now into some other universities that may not have thought about that, who may see their, you know, attendance this next year. We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know what registrations are going to be like. I think there are lots of students, I think we talked about this briefly last week, who are deciding whether they're going to take a year off, a quarter off. Um, But I think there are other potential students who might, if given the opportunity, would maybe consider going to university um, at a university like a UC that normally wouldn't have a 100% online option necessarily for them, that maybe now they will. Well, that's a crazy thought. What if what if universities aren't so much? I know this is completely the wrong way to think about it, but a university isn't selling a degree; it's selling individual courses that then somebody could stitch, you know, pick out what they want, what they need, yeah. who are the best instructors, and stitch those together, and have that be a degree. And you know, degree, do degrees even mean anything? Uh, yeah, anymore. well, and a lot of students, a lot of schools do that with certificate programs. Sure, exactly. Um, and also, you know, they'll have their summer kind of adult education extension courses. A lot of that material comes from regular classes that they just kind of repackage in a different way. Certainly, um, I am returning to thinking about my classes in a more modular fashion, mm-hmm. um, which I'm 
had to learn how to do when I built my first online class all those years ago. I think that will probably stick with me, um, thinking about things more modularly than I have in the past. Um, but it's a, it's, I think it's, it's an opportunity for sure for universities. So one of the things that comes to mind, I've shared this, I think, on an earlier episode of the podcast, but when uh, Kristen and I were doing a college visits, this was years ago, we went into a career counselor just so she could kind of get a feel for the types of things that she could explore. And the career counselor made this really interesting observation. She, he, uh, he said, don't think of your college education the way that your dad went through it, where it was very systematic and you, you, know, you took mm-hmm. a particular curriculum. He said, instead, think of collecting a portfolio of experiences. And that portfolio yep. of experiences are what will, you know, equip you with the, the things where, so you can do more to follow your passions and those types of things. Just, it was just, for me, it was a paradigm shift, right? Yeah. The portfolio of experiences. That's really great. And I think, again, looking at the time on the wall, but I think to, to close it out kind of loops back to what we were talking about in the previous episode where we closed it out on, where Danny, you're starting to hit on seeing these as experiences and getting a flavor of different things and attending things that maybe you do want to attend. So the question always comes back to when we come to these virtual environments and offer more choice and things are available, one question always comes to mind is attrition. Are we okay if people Mm, can't or doesn't attend? Is that okay? Because if we have, let's say, a small group of individuals that do attend, those people may have wanted to attend. And, you know, there's there's something there about starting to shift your mindset of having things available and allowing people to have that choice, which I think mm-hmm. is a it's a different dynamic and something that I've been thinking more and more about, given this new shift of where we're, where that's we're going. Part, that, that's part of the story of the MOOCs, right, where yeah. there's mm-hmm. so much drop off. But then when you start to talk with some of the people, they say, well, the reason I dropped off was because I got what I needed out of the course. You got what I, I needed. I, yep. Didn't, yep. I didn't need the last you know, five right. sessions. I just needed and, and that ones. was okay. Yeah, and that was fine. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't okay from the people who were measuring success of moves, right? But Correct. for the learner, it was successful yes. because they got what they needed. It reminds me a lot, Jake, of my experience teaching both at universities and then working in learning and development and training inside of a studio. The difference between the learners in many cases was, you know, when I'm at a university, I might be teaching a required course. There are students who who are either A, in that course because they have to be. They're not necessarily engaged and, and excited about the content. They, they may not even be at college because they want to be at college. <laughs> They've been told they need to go to college. Mm-hmm. So the work, the extra work I have to do to kind of excite and interest students who may not be interested in what I'm teaching um, to kind of help them get to the place where many of their peers are. Compare that to working at a game studio, an animation studio, where I have not only artists who are desperate to take classes so they can improve themselves and are super going to be learning the stuff on their own time if they have to. And then a step beyond that, I've been at studios where I was just inundated with artists who wanted to teach classes. They were so passionate about those subjects. Yep. The That difference between the hyper-engaged learner and the kind of passively Passive. have-to-be-there learner is huge. And I didn't realize that difference until I kind of experienced both kind of in cro- close proximity to one another. And I have to tell you, I would prefer to be 
I know this is going to be controversial, teaching a bunch of people who really, really want to be there, <laughs> who are really <laughs> genuinely interested in what I'm teaching. That could, I, that that could be a, a podcast all in itself. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes. Easily. Yeah. Interesting topic. But that is probably a good place to pull this one to a halt. Uh, studio is starting to smoke over here a little bit. We're getting over <laughs> our, our time allotment. So, Tad, thanks again for being with us the last couple of weeks. It's been great. My pleasure. I yeah, know thanks, this will Tad. not awesome. be your last time on Learning Geeks. Um, I assume it would not be. We I hope it's Yay. Good. Yay, definitely. <laughs> Tad's and, and coming next time, back. Well, next time what we need to do is we need to do a Star Wars after show and just have you tell stories. Of course. Maybe bring oh, yes. on some special guests. Yes. That would be so cool. I like it. So you, see what you I can do. Bob, you need to send out homework for us before that one though. Oh yeah. Obviously homework. Mandalorian and yeah, but there might be Mandalorian. Uh, everybody should be watching that Disney Gallery The Mandalorian on Disney Plus about the making of The Mandalorian. It's absolutely fascinating. There's applications all over up and down for professional learning people. Uh, watch that. Watch the end of The Clone Wars. It was amazing. Did you watch the 40th anniversary Empire Strikes Back live stream yesterday, Bob? With Dennis Murin and No, I did not no. know that Phil was a Tippett. Thing. But you know what? Because of the internet, I can watch it so can I, because I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> but from the tweets I was seeing, it sounded amazing. That's amazing. We'll watch it. But maybe we can coordinate and we can live watch it. I we like can it. tweet at each other and do it at the same time. So, Very good. Uh, but with that, we are way over time. So again, on behalf of Tad and Dana and Jake, this is Bob saying thanks for joining us on The Learning Geeks. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye